podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. And remember to include the name The Scoreless Sort of Podcast in your application. Thank you. Man there trying to stop Drogba hey, getting himself into further trouble. It's not a bad ball for Pelle on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And what a great goal that was. Carlos Alberto. Maradona just walked away from Hoddle then. Saldano. Austin. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Scoreless Thriller podcast. Thank you for joining us again. I'm joined as always by Leon. Leon, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. And do you know why you're doing great? Because Lucas is joining yes, us today. We're a special superstar. This... Le- Lucas, Lucas is a football knowledge encyclopedia and he's here to wow us on the podcast. And former sports journalist. It's good to have you on the podcast, Lucas. Lucas, what game are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about the Miracle of Bern, 1954. Germany playing against Hungary. The magical Magyars. Before we go into the game, I prepared a little bit of a quiz about the 1954 World Cup. Normally on the podcast, we've just had just one question, just a little brain teaser from the era. But because to celebrate... Lucas joining on the podcast. We have expanded the quiz. So now we have two rounds of three questions where Leon and Lucas will battle it off. For I'm, supre- I'm feeling super self-conscious. Yeah, for the supreme knowledge on the 1954 World Cup. Oh, shit. So we're going to start with question one from round one. Question, round one is all about qualifying. So all about qualifying for the 1954 World Cup. So question one. Germany qualified for the... So you're both going to answer at the same time, by the way. That's going to be... Like, you're both going to answer the same questions, if that makes sense to you. At the same time. No, I mean, not the same time, though. That would be a bit too synchronous. That would would be... I would be a little bit uh, put out if you'd both answered at the same time. Okay, Lucas goes first. Then it would look like... Lucas goes first. For question one, Lucas goes first. Take it away, man. Take it away. Because I would be a bit confused if you both answered at the same time. I feel like you might have cheated and looked at my quiz beforehand if you both answered at the same time beforehand. Okay. Do you not think? Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. But this way I can just wait for Lucas to say it and then see what's that, yeah, I have. Just... I, I did just realise a few minutes ago that was a fatal flaw in the quiz. Oh, but yeah. if we switch it around each one, so like Lucas answers first on question one and then you answer first on question two, I okay. think we'll be okay. okay. We will try. Okay. I'm sorry, we'll listeners. This is just the first time. There are going to be there are going to be hiccups. There are going to be problems. But that's just the way it goes on the Scoreless Thriller podcast. We plow on through them. 
Anyway, question one. So Germany qualified for the 1954 World Cup by topping a group with Norway and one other team. This other team was bizarrely a current German state. Which state was it? Current German state, then the People's Republic DDR? It's a GDR, you mean? GDR? Yeah. Yeah. It's my guess. A current German state. Current German state. So was 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 it... They were playing as a different team to Germany. Like there were three teams in the group: yeah. Germany, Norway, and this state. Um, oh, oh, oh! I, I, I think you, I think you know it. I think I think I know. Was it um, the, in the western part of of, of of Germany, formally? Okay, potentially. Potentially. Um, see, now I quite forgot. I've quite forgotten the name. Bear, bear in mind, if you say the German name, I might not know what you're saying, but. Oh, okay. But you, if you say it, I can look it up. So just oh, no, you, no, you, no. you, there's not, there's not infinite time. There's unfair on Lucas because Lucas okay. answer, Lucas yeah, was okay. seri- <laughs> Lucas was serious and answered straight away. <laughs> we will cut out all yeah, the pause yeah. and then you'll but be like immediately. Like Elsa said Lothring, but it was somewhere there, like Zaland. No, you have to give. You have no eyes. I'll be like Zaland. So the correct answer was Saarland. Yes! Saarland competed in one qualifying for a World Cup and they finished finished second in the group. So there was a... The the final group game was a playoff between Saarland and Ah, Germany. But Saarland is... I'm not entirely sure, but you probably know a bit better. It's this part of the Western Germany which was taken over by the French after the war, after right? After the war, yes, yeah. exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have 1-0. One 1-0. Nil. One nil. How does cool. it feel, Lucas? How does it feel? Precious rising. Yeah, it's what supposed did. to do, right? It's a quiz, man. Also, Alex said former German state, so I was a bit confused. It's Yeah, because it was. It was. It's like an occupied state. Well, I well, mean, it became part of Germany like in the 50s. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, question two. Bring it on. 14-year-old Italian boy, Luigi Franco Gema, had a major role to play in the playoff between Turkey and Spain, which Turkey qualified from. What did he do? A. He was a ball boy, and one of the Spanish players got sent off for kicking the ball at him in anger. B. The Spanish players complained of food poisoning and blamed the boy who delivered their pre-match meal. C. The boy was found hiding in the Turkish team's dressing room amid allegations that the Spanish team had sent him as a spy. D. He was blindfolded and drew the lots which allowed Turkey to qualify. He was blindfolded. Yeah. I'm going for C. Found hiding in the, in the Turkish team's dressing room. I can reveal the correct answer was D. Oh, no. So they played, they played two games, and they, one of the teams won one game, and the other team won the other. And yeah. for some reason, they didn't use aggregate. It was just like two wins. Yeah. And then afterwards, in it, uh, no, I think they drew the third game as well, sorry. So they won, both had won one, and then yeah. the third game was in Italy. Yeah. So that was a draw. And then... They had this uh, boy who like worked for somebody else in the stadium, yeah. blindfold, and then draw the lots yeah. for the team to qualify for the World Cup. And then Turkey qualified instead of Spain. Question three. How many Asian teams competed at the tournament? One South Korea. I'll second that. <laughs> it was one South Korea. <laughs> and everyone complained at how bad they were. So, yeah, yeah, there we go. The correct answer was South Korea, yes. There was there's kind of a tactics to the quiz, Lucas. You need to pretend that you didn't know it. Be a bit more, uh, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, and then say one. Because then Leon knew immediately that it was I, one. I felt very positive that my answer was <laughs> correct. 
<laughs> okay, question one of round two. So this is going to be who guesses closest to the correct answer. There were 26 games at the 1954 World Cup. How many goals were there? Nearest guess wins. 26 matches. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so average score was like four and a half goals, I would guess. Was it, Lucas? Yeah, I was taking the same approach. I'm going for 130 goals. Yeah, okay, I'm going to go for 125. So the correct answer was 140, which means Lucas gets the point. There you go. So the average number of goals was 5.38 per game. So I was a bit off. One of these players did not play for Brazil at the 1954 World Cup. Give me the made-up name. Pinga, Dolinto, Baltazar, Didi. Pinga, Dolinto, Baltazar, Didi. You have to go first, Lucas. B. B, Dolinto? Dolinto. I'm going to go with A. Pinga. The correct answer was B, Dolinto. There you go. Oh, the scores are level coming into the last question. According to the FIFA rankings, who was the worst team at the 1954 World Cup? A. Scotland, B. France, C. South Korea, D. Mexico. I mean, I, I would have gone for South Korea. Yeah, then go for something. But for else. the sake of it, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to make it more exciting. So we've got what, Mexico, South Korea, France, and. Scotland. Scotland. They were competing? They were competing. Back in the days, man, I don't know. Mm. I do, have you have you have you heard anything about France at that point in time? France playing the playing the football. Only heard about the great Scottish. They can't be rated worse than South Korea, though. Can they? Alex? Who knows? I'm I'm the one who made the quiz. Scotland. Okay. Um. Jeez. Okay. I'm 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 going for. I'm going for Mexico, man. Whatever. Just, just to Luke, make it more interesting. Yeah. Lucas has come in and he has gone home with the trophy of winning the quiz. Oh, it was sweet. South Korea. Oh, what a comeback! Three one down, Three and he comes back down. to win four three. Any any words after your? Yeah, great relief. <laughs> I felt embarrassed. I'm so disappointed, man. But I also feel like. But I also feel I like I should have just you... gone for South Korea. Yeah. Like, it, it, I I hate the question. Can I can I blame you? <laughs> can, I mean, you can very easily. Can, 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 can I blame you? I feel like we had two South Korea questions now. Yeah, that is that, true. That was but weird. you kind of answered South Korea earlier in the thing, so then it was like, oh shit, that's the last question. Yeah, yeah it's kind of obvious going to be South Korea. Yeah, but next well, time we will not have that. Okay, we will have a different thing. But thank you for love, joining us. Love the effort, though. Yeah, congratulations, you. Lucas. I, I admire you. I admire you and your knowledge about football and this World yeah. Cup. I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to what else you can contribute yeah. <laughs> today. So this is this has been a very good It's setup. almost I as think... if he does it for a living, right? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's, it's impressive, man. <laughs> Hello, my name's Danny and welcome to Two Lads Talking, the weekly podcast where we rank a different subject each week from the worst to the best. We have Nate. Hello. And we have Zach. Hello. Get a brew. Chill out tonight and do the sucky penguin. <laughs> no, oh, it's really warm. <laughs> <laughs> me too, man. Get me fan out. <laughs> Listen to us battle it out with subjects ranging from biscuits to zoo animals. I love the part of Nelson Mandela. Where are you from? <laughs> Check us out every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Yeah, I, I don't think you understand, Dan. I lost my pants. 
two lads talking. Hang on a minute, there's three of us. The sort of where the Hungarian team's sort of mythology kind of is copper fastened is when they go to they go to, to England in 1953, and this kind of myth of British or English football superiority hadn't quite been destroyed yet. So no, they never lost to a continental European team, right? Mm, Ever yeah. before, even though at they, home, at home. <laughs> even though they like, you think they would have kind of like learned their lesson because they got knocked out of the 1950 World Cup by some amateurs from America. So you think you know already they should have been a little bit bit more circumspect. Yeah. But so the Hungarian team turns up at Wembley and the British press is like, how will they handle with our you know more robust you know these flaky sort of Hungarians with their their flair and stuff will will not be able to handle the physicality and the brilliance of our English our English boys. So then it was, yeah, so it was it was billed as the match of the century, and. The Hungarian team turn up and they just wipe the four of them. They beat, they just, you know, they're basically playing another sport. So injured England players, Tom Finney, described it it was like cart horses playing racehorses. So sort of the robust English whale, like not against these uh, lithe and quick Hungarians with their quick passing and moving them between them and stuff. Yeah. This Hungarian team also, they, so they they played the first game in Wembley and won 6-3. And then... I love but that they went for revenge, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went back to... They, went, they, went they didn't back. learn their lesson. They're like, let's go... I was, I'm sure it was just a once-off. Like, let's go off to uh, Budapest. We'll show, actually... What the, we can yeah, do. This, this was a mistake. This, this is the let, English let game. No one, no one can do this. No, no We're going to one... come back for them. We're going to make them suffer. We're going to go to their side of the, of the yeah. pond. And they said, and then they go to Budapest and they lose seven one. So so Which much worse than six three. annihilated. Yeah. One of the English players, Sid Owen, he said it was like it was like playing people from outer space. So this Hungarian team had five of probably the best players in the world at the time. So they had Puskas, Hirguti, Kosis, Bosic, and Sibor. Lovely pronunciation. I, I mean, beautiful. And then uh, also, what was kind of crucial was they had Sebes, their coach, and Sebes is part of this triangle of. Hungarian coaches who are referred to as the coffee house coaches. So they viewed as sort of they sat in, uh, in they all loved Vienna and they all yeah. loved like to go to Vienna and sort of sit in the coffee house and smoke a cigarette and so discuss the how to play football beautifully. And in they the had football philosophy. Yeah, it was like it was the beginning of sort of viewing football in kind of a way of like art and how like movement and stuff happened and, and moving the beginning of the evolution of football tactics. So, and what I also found was one of one of the the right the right back for Hungary. He after the game against England, he said it was because of tactics that Hungary won. The match showed the clash of two formations, as often and as often happens, the newer, more developed formation prevailed. So the Hungarians were trying to. I mean, I'm not the best person in the world to go about the football tactics, but basically they had um, moving the the traditional WM formation was reliant on there being a big target man. Yeah. But in Hungary, they didn't have this sort of cart horse, big target man. The niner. The niner, exactly, that they had in England. So what they did was they dropped the nine uh, a little deeper. And then they basically played as like how you would imagine now, like a number 10 or attacking midfielder. And then they fed the two other forwards. Yeah. So as as a result of that, they kind of bypassed the need for a big number nine, a number nine. And so Hidiguti was kind of their their striker who dropped deeper to create their their passing and their lines and stuff like that to, to develop. 
Yeah, which is an idea that kind of returned to modern in football as well, right? Yeah, exactly. If you the parallel is quite strong with you know with the Spain team how they yeah. played with basically without a centre forward and the false nine. Yeah, and very strong attacking playing. Brutally, it kind of looks a bit like a four-two-four formation more or less when they have possession and stuff. Yeah, but what I also found interesting, so a contemporary of Seves, the coach of of the Hungarian Hungary, team, yeah. was a guy called Bela Gutman. And Bela Gutman is famous for being kind of traveling all around the world and coaching in a couple of different places. Brought the new formation stuff to Brazil after a bit later on in the 50s. Yeah. And he had the saying that the third season is fatal. So we would only ever spend like two years at, uh, at one club. Ah. Right. So he was like, he was spending like different clubs in Europe and he eventually went to South America and stuff like this. Yeah. But also my other favorite story about him is that when he was man- he, when he led uh, Benfica to two European Cups in a row in Portugal, and he was a bit angry that they weren't giving him a pay rise or giving him his, his bonuses correctly for, for winning well them. Well-deserved. Well-deserved yeah. bonuses for winning two, <laughs> two European Cups. So, but, so they ha- he had an argument with them and eventually left. And the myth goes that he put a curse on Benfica that they would never win an- another European European championship, championship and be champions of Europe and since then Benfica have been to eight European finals and lost them all wow wow <laughs> some football voodoo at work there yeah very that strong crazy the, 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 those were the golden ages of Hungarian football mm. they were before they joined the World Cup but before they played in the World Cup they were unbeaten for four years yeah for four years 32 matches Olympic champions Olympic European champions or the equivalent of that during that time so very impressive and everyone was expecting them to win so a really 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 strong team at the prime of their strength going into this tournament and then there was Germany and I don't know yeah Lucas maybe you want to go into it a a, a bit deeper I mean it's it's hard assessing how strong Germany was back then I don't know what you guys think of it. I mean, there's some names still being known, like Toni Turek, uh, Ottmar Walter, Fritz Walter for sure, Max Morlock. Um, the Nuremberg Stadium is named after him or was named for a long time. So Helmut Rahn surely is quite known. But it's hard to assess their strengths. They're, they're, they were semi-professionals, if I'm correct. So they, they were working, mm. they had to take vacation, I remember. Um, and yeah, so they were they weren't practicing at all so much. So it's it's yeah, Hungary yeah. was definitely the favorite in my opinion. And also, they were very much also like an, an unknown quantity exactly. because it was the first tournament that they had been allowed to compete in yeah. after the after the Second World War. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was actually it was the first time that the German national anthem was played again after the Second World War. Yeah, was so it? so it was it was the big unknown for this tournament. Tournament one one might argue, yeah. And I mean, it's 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 hard to dig in deep on on the question how good the Germans were. I mean, you Google them, you look them up, you see little footage. There's little footage left of them playing. There's even little footage of the match. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listeners, I mean, it's just hard to assess. <laughs> we 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 rewatched the final, but it was kind of it's very difficult to actually judge too much from the game. Just the lack of camera angles, but also the game would regularly stop to display some beautiful sort of photography of but it the was ground. A, it was a different vibe. Right, it was a bit more artsy. I felt because you had like some scenes and then you had some pictures, yeah, and it was like more calm, more relaxing, and a lot of crowd shots, yeah, a lot of very regular crowd shots. Yeah, so that was that was that was kind of weird. So this tournament um begins, and Hungary is sort of sweeping everyone before them, and they 
They also play Germany during the group stage as well, and they beat them 8-3 during and, that. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting what we talked about just before, because we said they were kind of the big unknown, right, the German team. Mm-hmm. And so what the German coach did in the match against Hungary was playing with the weaker side of his team, so mm-hmm. having a lot of B-level players yeah. on the pitch. And so even though Hungary beat Germany 8-3, it was still not 100% sure whether this was actually the the, German, the, yeah. mirroring the, the, the strength of the German team or whether it was just something that uh, was due to the selection of players that were on the pitch. So, yeah. Yeah, and actually, so during this tournament, Hungary scored 27 goals, which is a which is the record which still stands today. So it's the high, like the highest number of goals scored by a team. Yeah. We also have the highest number of goals scored per average per game well-known Achilles heel of the Hungarian team was that their defense was weaker and that fell in felt into quite into the philosophy of the coaches and stuff that like doesn't matter how many we concede we'll always score more yeah this romantic idea of football that we mm. talked about in this podcast a couple of mm. times before right as yeah. long as you score more then you get you you, you will win a match like that's yeah. that's the math of math yeah there's a story um of uh, not the Hungarian coach but Gutmann again that when he was managing in... Well, you're, you're so in love, man. Goodman is my smi- hero. The, the way you smile he's, when you talk about yeah. like, the spark in your eyes. I just love no, it. No, but I just love... He's very, he was very much a, like an individualist as well, which is a big contrast to Sebes, the Hungarian coach, who was a committed socialist. But Goodman is, was sort of like a gun for hire who would just like travel the world and... Doesn't matter. He wouldn't really care who he fell out with. Just yeah. you know that he, you know he he'd win things very quickly. It's this crazy story of when he took over Benfica. He fired almost twenty players of the squad and then won the league with youth players. That's impressive, man. Yeah. So when he was in um, when he was managing in Hungary, he was his team was losing quite badly. Yeah. And he was shouting at the right back because the right back was kick going out and kicking people and playing aggressively and. Goodman was, you know, insisting that football should be played the right way. So at halftime, he um, aggressively told the right back, like, you're not allowed to go back out there. And that would have left them with 10 players because obviously substitutions weren't introduced into the game yet. Yeah. But so he, he instructed the player not to go back out there. But Puskas, who was the, the, the captain, told the defender to, to stay on. And then so the, the player stayed on. And then, uh, in anger that the player stayed on, Goodman went into the stands and just started reading an, an, uh, a racing paper. Nice. <laughs> and just, like, <laughs> making clearly his displeasure of the thing. And then he took a train, like a tram home without the team. And then he never returned to manage the team. What? <laughs> I love it. So principled, this man. Yeah. So principled. Such a, you know... Strong character. Mm. Very steadfast, yeah. Yeah. So we should talk about a bit about the uh, the final now. So the game is, you know, Hungary are very, very strong favourites. They, they race into a 2-0 lead through two kind of odd goals, right? They're like, you know, there's one shot which is deflected. The second goal by the goalkeeper the is, goal like, is yeah, hilarious. Calling, he's just crawling around in the penalty box, man. I've got no idea yeah, what he's, he's like, doing. He's, it's like he's dropped some, like, pennies or coins on the floor <laughs> yeah, and he's, like, scrambling like, around the floor. His mind is definitely <laughs> somewhere. I don't know where. And he tries, I don't know whether he's on drugs. Yeah. We'll discuss this later. <laughs> but he tries to get at the ball and he, like, messes with it and then it falls for another, the Hungarian uh, player for a ball. And he scores and makes it 2-0. But West Germany come back very quickly. They score. Oh, they're quickly, yeah. They gather, they gather their strength 
and the motivation. And it, I think it's two minutes. Yeah, right? so the goals come the sixth minute for Hungary for the first one through Puskas, and then yeah. Sibor in the eighth minute. And then Morlock makes it 2-1 to Hungary yeah. after 10 minutes. After kind of a weird cross, right? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's a low really, cross, not very, not, not smashed. Goes mm. through and the, he puts mm. it in. And then they make it 2-2 with the, with the, from a corner. Yeah. Yeah. 18th minute. Yeah. yeah. So Ghan really stepped up, man. All through the tournament. Like, he wasn't even, I think, part of the major team at the beginning. But then he made... Uh, like, uh, he took a stance for himself and then in this final he definitely showed why it was worth picking him man. I mean yeah. the Hungarian goalkeeper isn't looking so good uh, yeah he kind of yeah. runs beneath the ball yeah the he ball. tries he like sort of flaps it and misses it and then it's 2-2 but even like from the match footage that we were able to see Hungary are sort of very much on top like they have a couple of chances where the goalkeeper makes a good save and also they hit the post and yeah, the, I mean, they're kind of on top for most of the game, I feel. Yeah, they're powering through, man. They're, yeah. they're, they're doing what they have to do. But still, they're not scoring. So it's an open match when it goes into the second second half. Yeah, exactly. And then, so with six minutes to go then, uh, Rand scores again for West Germany, right? He, yeah. He, take, he puts them in the lead. But, and this is, I feel like this is the line of commentary that everyone knows. Every football fan in Germany knows, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we know it. That Ran in the Ran was to shoot and Ran shoots Tor and then he just goes bonkers. Yeah, I mean, there's so many in the final. You should, you should know, or you, you heard of like at the end of the game and yeah, 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 naming Tony Turek a Teufelskerl like an amazing guy and yeah, those, those yeah. ones are really famous. Yeah, the, the second thing you just talked about is like a couple of minutes later where it's just like the game is over aus, and the, the aus aus aus. Der Spiel ist aus, Deutschland ist Weltmeister. Mm. Yeah, so the, West Germany take the lead and then there's still time for... <laughs> yeah, let's rewind a bit. Hungary, <laughs> Hungary, getting ahead of ourselves. Hungary almost, like, they think they've equalized. Puskas is uh, scored and he's, like, celebrating. To be honest, though, there's no way of knowing Yeah, nowadays. I mean, it's impossible to It know. was called offside. It was called... This goal, uh, which they thought it leveled it with two minutes to It go. is a controversial decision until today. I, I don't even know. You we can't, can't see assess, it. We can't tell. You can't see it. Yeah. From what I read, it's like eyewitness accounts differ. So it's, you know, it's kind of impossible. <laughs> Which sounds very plausible. Yeah, I mean. I mean <laughs> when do eyewitness accounts do not differ yeah, exactly, when you in this situation. watch football? But yeah, so West Germany hang on then for the for the win. And, and I mean, you have to imagine this, right? This was post-war Germany. And it was the first time that they got to participate in an international football event again. And then their team, which was kind of an underdog, actually goes through and wins this. So yeah, this is huge. It's kind of interesting. I wonder, like, how happy were people to kind of express sort of patriotic prize in the situation? You know, because it's so soon after the end of World War Two, And, you know, like, this is the first time Germany's been represented again on the international in, on the international stage. How happy were people to kind of express their their patriotic? Yeah, it's, it's it's hard to, to tell, but I mean, we, we talked about it early already. The 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 first uh, strophe verse of the German anthem, which is forbidden, was sung right in the stadium. That's that's what I remember. And so, yeah, I guess there were some nationalist undertones, um, yeah, linked to the victory. I mean, mm. but I've also I've read it's mm. been like very much viewed as a 
turning point, right? You know, no, it was. Of it was. It German. was. I mean, some some even argue that this was the true birth of the new German yeah. nation because there was some kind of national feeling rising again. Mm. We could manage something, even if it's just some some sports event yeah. that we win, uh, that we can manage as a at least unified Western Germany country. So yeah, it was very mm. important, I think. But and it's also very interesting because I mean, I remember in two thousand and six, all like there was lots of commentary on how. Germans were actually happy to display their flag again, right? Yeah. You know, and that's like 50 late years later after yeah. this, you know? Yeah. So whether, how different it was back then to that, or how you kind of quantify how people felt about it? To be honest, though, I, I don't know. Because, yeah. I mean, I, the, the only thing that I actually have to assess this is like the one movie everyone watched in Germany, Das, das Wunder von, yeah, von der. Um, where where it was portrayed as something that was really important, but that was not like majorly patriotic, but just showing that Germany as an entity does still exist and does compete for something. So yeah. that that was kind of the, the first idea, and then the idea of showing your flag and everything that was uh, I mean it's still being discussed. It, yeah. it, it had kind of this revival during the Sommermärchen in, in in Germany when Germany was hosting the World Cup, but until today it's it is controversial. Yeah, especially uh, in more political leftist circles. Yeah, it's not there's there's mm. no clear cut answer to whether it's. So left, say in, if in, Germany like because for instance if you go to England during or um, during the World Cup everyone yeah. will have the flag of Saint George outside their window and yeah. stuff. When the World Cup is on in Germany, do people do that? People or do it. Yeah, yeah. They, and 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 there was definitely this this drastic increase after the World Cup hosted in Germany, when they, people would have it on their cars. So after the game, it kind of precedes the breakup of this great Hungarian team. So Puskas leaves to play for Real Madrid. It's been viewed also as almost preceding the, the rising in 56. The team got huge amounts of abuse when they played yes. in Hungary. Puskas was booed wherever he went. The goalkeeper ends up having to be forcibly moved by the regime from Budapest Honved, yeah. who's like the biggest winning, the biggest winning team yeah. in Hungary, and forced to play for this provincial like, yeah. village team. And the, the authorities start like, revoking all the player privileges. You know, they had, used to have like, certain things they were allowed to do, like bring back uh, material objects from the West yeah. to, for their lives and stuff. And, it, you know, by 58, I think there's only a couple... There's only three or four uh, of this brilliant team who are still playing for the Hungarian team. Yeah, but because the association between the regime and this football team was so strong before, yeah. they were kind of like the pinup boys for the communist regime yeah. in Hungary at that time. So this link was, link was so strong that, of course, afterwards, when they did not manage to win, the regime had mm. to distance themselves in a way. Um, but yeah, this immediately sparked protest after the match in Hungary. And a lot of people argue that it, this is linked to the uprisings that followed. Yeah, years, that's what the, that's what the goalkeeper Grosic says. He says, in those demonstrations, I believe, lay the seeds of the 1956 yes. uprising. Yes. Like I said, Puskas goes plays for Real Madrid and he wins European Cups with them. Sibo uh, and Kosis, they leave and play for Barcelona. Yeah, and at 58, there's only four of them who are still left. But it's also interesting because nowadays, oftentimes you have this discussion whether sportsmen and women are allowed to show signs of, like, political signs yeah. and political symbols. And this oftentimes is not allowed, right? Yeah. Whether it's in the Olympics or in FIFA World Cups or whatever. But then, as you see here, there's always this political connotations to sport events. Yeah. And oftentimes, governments or regimes use these sports events in a very political manner. 
Yeah. So so it cannot be detached from this part of the world, right? No. Especially big sports events carry heavy political connotations. And we should also say the demise of the Hungarian team. It's not immediate. You know, even after they after they lost this final, they play uh, 19 games between 54 and 56 and they win 16 of them. Yes, yeah, so, no, so in total you've got 6 years where this Hungarian team yeah. loses one match. Yeah. Which is and, the final at the World Cup. Yeah, and it's and I feel like it's very interesting because we discussed this with our discussing the Brazilian team in 1982. Yeah. How these teams who played beautiful football and captured everyone's kind of imagination and are so important for the progression of football. Yeah. But on the kind of biggest moment, they just weren't able to get over the line. And whether that sort of adds to the mythology or is a, is a card against them, right? You know, yeah. they had... This was the biggest game. And if they had won... I think if the hung, that Hungarian team is well-remembered, but if that Hungarian team had won a World Cup, how much different things would have been... For them as players and people, maybe they would have stayed in Hungary. Things may have changed politically, or what, like what would it have done for football after this? No, but man, stories are best when they're bittersweet. I yeah, think. exactly. You know, I think yeah, and it's it's so interesting also how these tragedies. Right, watching this game, the bit so we could see the parallels between that and the game we watched last week with Brazil and Italy. You know, the beautiful team yeah. against a more robust and more efficient, efficient team. And the thing with the German team with the with the rain, right? How the rain t- turned to their favor because they had the Adidas boots. Yeah, yeah. And they had, and it was the what, technology. What, yeah. And what, what's the phrase for the weather with the player? Fritz Walter Wetter. Mm. We we call it in German. If it rains, we will win. That's allegedly what he said. I mean, in the in the movie, it's it's depicted like he says it to a Hungarian journalist, as far as I remember. But I don't know if that is accurate. But yeah, it's a term like my granddad used to say, right? When we were playing, there was this one goal in his backyard. I was in goal, and I was shooting at goal. He was in goal, and he was always like, "Yeah, this is the Fritz Walter Wetter. Mm. We we're gonna win." So yeah. it's it's kind of it, yeah. it's something that's out there. It's a slogan. It's a thing. But we should also briefly touch upon. The controversy, no, which is very... This is the best issue about yeah, it, this, right? okay. this is what got me interested in this match again. Because before it was always like, it was one win of the German team, which I always deemed to be nice, because yeah, it's nice to win the not. World Cup. But it was nothing that closely related to anything I thought about. But then I read this one article, which was about um, drug abuse uh, and drugging up players in football history. And then this match came up. So immediately after the match, um, I think the Hungarian captain says that some of the German players might be on, on, on might have been on drugs during the match. And then the story gains momentum, and it has been told and retold up until now. So the question was always whether they had an unfair advantage because they used a specific kind of methamphetamine that was also used during the German wartime. And this was the discussion that was going on, and there are different sides to it, but most of the players on the German team that were still alive, like way back, uh, uh, way later, they always argued that no, we... First they argued that nothing happened, then they argued that they only got injected some vitamin C or some glucose... And uh, yeah, now the, the 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 answer that some of the experts might may, might have voiced is is what you wanted to look into, right? Yeah, I mean, I just read the the summary of this the study. I mean, it's not too telling. It was just as we said already mentioning that um, amphetamine was 
uh, used during that time by the national team. And I mean, I, I looked it up a little bit and I found information on it. I mean, it's it looks like, yeah, it casts a shadow over the German win, I would say, definitely. So. Yeah, but also I think also the point is, would the players have known that they were being injected? They said that it max was vitamin C that they were given, and only some of them. So, so, so that 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 was their point of view, and then yeah, and then the study said that that you quoted. I think it's it's Eric Eggers from uh, the Humboldt University in Berlin, and he said that if you look at the circumstances, and if you look at also the uh, newspaper articles that appeared afterwards, and if you take all this into consideration, then it's highly likely that it was actually pervitin that was given to these players and not vitamin C, which is the drug that was used during Second World okay. War to pump up the soldiers so that they could go on for days mm. and days and march and fight and whatnot. But I guess it also falls into, like, doesn't, in, in some way, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it doesn't oh. matter that they cheated. Like, is there a value in us knowing that they cheated, like, 60-something years later? Yeah. Uh, is there a value in knowing that maybe the, Ger- the Hungarian team was cheated out of the World Cup? Because what I also found was, you know, there was no doping protocols introduced until later on later on in the 60s so what by nothing, fifa right yeah. yeah so so officially by fifa there was nothing that had to be done about doping at that time so it wasn't even illegal when it came to competing at the world cup but i think within germany there were some regulations that did yeah. not allow sportsmen to, to 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 take drugs and doping or dope at that moment in time um, but of course, the question is valid. I mean, what what does it tell us about it? I feel like the comparison is very strongly to to the to the cycling um, um, sport, yeah. where nowadays you kind of know that everyone was doping all yeah. throughout the time, and now it's saying that well, all of these wins were fake. Does it do any good? Does it lead anywhere? Well, yeah, positive? I, I, I think mean, it, 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 it asks the right question. I, I'm I'm. I'm totally for calling it out, but yeah, then what, what do you do with mm. the information? Like, where does it lead you? Yeah, yeah. Like, unless you can use that information to make anti-doping better in the future, then, you know, what kind of use is it? And like, I think obviously, like, some people obviously were also better at doping, right, than other things. That's the thing with Lance Armstrong. It's not that he was doping. He had, like, the best doping program but then, that's the, but then that's the and question. And bullied everyone who, out of the game, who exactly. tried to... But then that's the question. That is this this puristic idea of sports that we want? Or does it then become more of a duel of mind games and using the right medical applications and advancements yeah. and enhancements that you can get? And then it might be a completely different yeah. competition. And I think that's it's not, it's not this Greek idea of Olympics games where it's just physicality mm. versus physicality. But it's more of like, how far can we take medical advancements to make someone play better? How much difference do you think doping makes in a football match? I would say surely it does a difference. But I mean, when we talk about professional players, they're all in top shape. There are multiple things being taken into consideration like... Yeah, football is it's not only about stamina as we all know, it's about technique, it's about mind, uh, yeah, mind, yeah. Yeah, I this yeah. argument I just completely think is false, right? No. Like if if I can take something which makes me think clearer and in the most crucial moments of football to do my training or my technical training, then that's going to be a massive advantage. I got what you're kind of saying is the difference between say cycling and football is cycling as a pure endurance thing right so it's kind of if i take something i will be able to breathe for longer and 
carry on. But I mean, in football, right, if, if I'm able to run a little bit further than the next person or if I'm able to, when I'm exhausted and can barely think, take something which will help me to get a little bit further and that's you know that's just as much as an advantage right and it boosts self-confidence right it's not just about the physicality of it but it's also about mental aspects suddenly you feel like you can do everything i mean there's the reason why they gave it to uh pilots during the during the second world war i mean Mm. it was not nothing to do with stamina maybe it's also with stamina but also with focus and being pumped and hyped And, and so, no one's saying that like to be a pilot doesn't take any skill, right? You need to ha- you need to, to have some bit of skill no, or technical, yeah, definitely experience to be the pilot, but have something which will be able to no, call the, on that okay. training at the most crucial time. But, but here's the argument, right? Those two are the teams that are participating in the final match, right? Yeah. So of course they have got the technique, talent, of yeah. course they've got the talent necessary to compete. But then the thing that might just give you the extra edge in the match, that might be the uh, drugs that you take in yeah. order to get, you know, kicked. Yeah, but I wouldn't say in football, I mean, they, they're all on the same level when it comes to technique. To technique. I mean, talking about modern and football, they're, they're players like Messi, Ronaldo. and so, I mean, their first touch is amazing. You can't copy those players. I mean, you can have all the stamina in the world mm. you want, but I mean, if you don't have the technique, if you don't have the, the shooting skills like those, the finishing skills those players have, I mean, you... Yeah. It, Football is something else. But there's, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, there's no drug in the world that I can take and go out tomorrow and play as well as Messi, right? But there is stuff that I can, like, take to help me train and get better. And if I've taken it for a long enough time to keep on training and developing my Alex skills to like get good. Alex was, like, looking at us to see whether he could argue that a drug would make him better than us. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but there I'm is. glad that he decided <laughs> not to do it because that would be the next controversy that we'd have to talk about. <laughs> that we could take the drug would be better than you two and play for Volvox. Easily. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. I mean, also, football is also about tactics and, I mean... I mean, it's it's a complicated game. It's it's not that simple, you know. It's not just cycling up a hill. No, no, no. No disrespect to any cyclists, but <laughs> no but disrespect, serious. But disrespect. But serious that's disrespect. That's how it is. I mean, there's so many layers to that game, and I mean, yeah, yeah. It's more complexity. Yeah, I guess the only thing that I wanted to say is that also when it comes to mental clarity and focus, drugs do help. I agree. Can help. I agree. I'm not I advising agree. anyone to take no, drugs when they play football. I mean, I'm just. I mean, yeah. there have been some reports on German, yeah, German football and German amateur yeah. football and the misuse of, of painkillers and so on and so forth. Also, so like, the whole okay. East German team, like, Olympics teams during the 60s, 70s, and 80s yeah. were just... Okay, but if you knew for sure now that yeah. they used um, pervertine, yes. would you say that this World Cup win should not be counted? Just, I mean, I have no elaborate opinion on that, but, I mean... Yeah, the first thought coming to my mind, I would say no. Just mm. no. It's I mean, it's just, just too private. There are too many, <laughs> too many. <laughs> not too broad, but I mean, there are too many gray areas. I mean, we we would have to. know. How is this a gray area? I mean, I said that if yeah. you knew for sure that they, you know, used drugs in this match. Yeah, but, but I think that's a little bit of a trap, though, right? Because we can't possibly really know for sure. But this no, is more of a moral question, yeah, I exactly. guess, but than I mean, it is of a factual I mean, one. I mean, the cray area I'm referring to is knowing if the Hungarian team has been doped or not. I mean, that's... Like, okay, let me give you the answer in, in, in our hypothetical world. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's hypothetical, like you say. And I mean, we should not be guessing... Uh, 
uh, if something happened and yeah. uh, i mean we can't through major major conclusions yeah but I th- it's the basic yeah. idea of morals though right yeah that, okay, so that you build these hypothetical models and in that world if that existed what would be the right thing to do and i think it's quite interesting okay german teens they used doping and the hungarian team did not and we know this for sure and this is a win a world cup win right with a lot of implications should we not say okay damn man we didn't win this in the way we were supposed to let's give it to the ones that did i mean if the facts were obvious i mean uh, yeah i can agree thinking about it i mean it's it's a difficult question i can't answer like on the spot yeah. yeah like spontaneously i don't know what you guys think about it I, I mean, I think it's impossible to argue otherwise. I think you would have, like, I think you would have to. But I think also, I mean, there's only one German players, player still, still left. I feel pretty bad going around to his house and taking his World Cup medal, and taking it to I don't know. There's no Hungarian players still alive, so who do I give it to? Viktor Orban to hang in his. <laughs> there were more more players like still alive. Do you think this is a question of time? So eventually, it's just like it's so far back, it doesn't even matter. Because uh, I mean, if, it, no. this, if this would be immediately afterwards, right? That would be a different thing. Yeah, they totally. just won a week after you. The the f- team physician says that yeah, shit, we did something wrong. We gave them drugs. We shouldn't have done this. Then you would argue. I I, I would argue that yeah, definitely. No, hundred percent. I would to the, to the to the team of of Hungary. Yeah, no, I would agree. But I think also there is the thing with with time now, right? How would you? How would you legislate for it? Or how would you kind of go around doing okay, it? Okay, okay, okay. It would be a bit of an issue. But it's a very interesting debate. I very <laughs> enjoyed discussing it with you both today. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Leon, do you have any final words? Um, I, I'm so happy that you joined us today, Lucas. Thank you so much, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I think what what we can yeah maybe my final last words so i think interesting is that um there was no pressing involved back in those case games but still those the 1954 world cup it seemed like the beginning of modern football in my opinion i mean hungary was playing short pass football and it was quite progressive um yeah so no pressing involved but we had the false nine we talked about mm. And I mean, yeah, lots of talks about tactics and so on and so forth. So for me, 1954 was maybe the the beginning of modern football as we know it today. That's what I think about this game. Yeah, it was fascinating yeah. to kind of see it in action. So thank you again for joining us on the podcast. I hope you'll join us again next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>